Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you have one with me, please, to the book of Mark as we continue our study of the cross-shaped life. We are, if you've uh, not been with us for a while, we are wa walking our way slowly through the, the third gospel, or the second gospel, rather, Mark. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's uh, found in, in, under one of the chairs near you. Turn to page 1065, 1065 in the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 23 of that chapter through verse 6 of chapter 3. Mark 2, 23 through 3, 6. Hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you so much for, in love, giving us your word as a revelation of the Lord Jesus. And so we pray in his name, Holy Spirit of God, that you'll come and that you will illumine our hearts and our minds and help us to forget everything else around us and to really concentrate on what you have to say to us here about Jesus and about how he spent the Sabbath day. Father, we need your word. We need your spirit. So come and be our teacher. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a difference a year makes. And I'm not talking about the Florida Gators football team. I'm talking about the popularity of Jesus. What a difference a year made. In Mark chapter 2, where we are reading this morning, Jesus is in his second year of ministry. Now, prior to this, if you've been with us in this series, you've noticed that people had been flocking to Jesus. They were amazed by his teaching. They were amazed by his authority to heal, his authority to forgive sins, his power of the demonic world. 
The last verse of chapter 1 of Mark says that people were coming to Jesus from every quarter. But as you heard, the last verse that I read there in chapter 3 says the Pharisees went out and conspired or conferred with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. Why that change? What accounts for this amazing change of heart toward Jesus? What pushed these Pharisees over the edge? Well, we find out this morning that it's what Jesus did and what Jesus said on the Sabbath day that changed their hearts. Our text this morning deals with, as you heard, two different episodes. They're both in common with the fact that they occurred on a Sabbath day which, of course, is our Saturday, or the seventh day of the week. At the end of chapter 2, verse 23 through 28, we read about how Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field one day in Capernaum. They're hungry, and so they pluck some heads of grain from the stalk and rub it between their hands and eat it. Kind of like imagine you were walking around with a, a little bag of sunflower seeds or something like that. They're eating these heads of grain as they walk on their way through the grain field. And then in chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, second episode, Jesus is in the synagogue and he heals a man with a withered hand. It means his hand was rigid or paralyzed or dried up. We don't know if that happened in an accident or if it happened from birth or whatever it was, but Jesus healed the man on a Sabbath day. Now, we look at these two incidents and we say, well, what's the big deal? What's so wrong with what they were doing? Well, it's the beginning of the end for Jesus Christ as far as the Pharisees were concerned. So to understand this text this morning, uh, we're going to need to first understand two things, and then we'll get into the main points of the text. The two preliminaries that we need to talk about are, first of all, something about the Pharisees. Who were they and what were they like? And then secondly, how did the Pharisees view the Sabbath day? So let's clear away these preliminaries first. First of all, who were the Pharisees? They're mentioned in both of the two episodes, the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. Who were the Pharisees? They were experts in Israel's laws and traditions. The Jewish historian Josephus said that the Pharisees were, quote, the most accurate interpreters of the law. And they had profound effect or power over the people of Israel. The word Pharisee literally means separated one. Separated one. And so the Pharisees were known for their uh, adherence to purity and cleanliness and law and order and holiness, at least on the outside. They had rules for everything and rules for everybody. They had rules about washing, rules about clothing, rules about eating, rules about tithing, rules about worship, and, of course, rules about the Sabbath day, which we'll get to in a few moments. Now, how did the Pharisees, though, come up with these rules? Where did they come from? In the time of Jesus, there were really two sets of laws for the Jews. And this is important. There was one set which was called Torah, which was the written law of Moses, which we find in the Old Testament, especially the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and summarized in the Ten Commandments. That was 
Torah. But then there was a second set of laws, and those were called the oral law. It got its start during the Babylonian captivity, which was back in like 6th century B.C., otherwise known as the exile. This is when thousands of Jews were exiled over to Babylon in uh, that period of time. And the rabbis, who were the religious leaders of Israel, the rabbis saw that exile as God's punishment for the people's disobedience to Torah. They figured, well... We're disobedient to God's law. That's why God is punishing us. That's why we're being uh, taken over to Babylonia. And so these rabbis who were committed to purity and holiness and obedience to God, they came up with a bunch of traditions to supplement Torah. And these traditions were rules which were intended to build a hedge around the Torah to keep the people from sinning. Here's just a kind of a silly illustration. Let's suppose that you see a sign on a park bench that says, wet paint, don't touch. All right, let's call that Torah. And suppose that somebody else comes along and he's concerned about all the people who would touch the wet paint. And so he's so concerned about that that he puts up another sign that says, keep 20 feet away from the park bench. That's like the oral law. It's a rule about a rule. And the Pharisees loved these rules about the rules. They believed that these rules called the oral law were just as inspired, just as authoritative as the law of Moses. And they called them the traditions of the elders. And eventually these traditions of the elders became put into writing in a document known as the Mishnah which was written around 200 A.D. Well, you know what the... Do you know what Jesus thought about the Pharisees? If you want to know what Jesus thought about the Pharisees, sometime read Matthew 23. You might want to jot that down in your margin. Matthew 23. In that chapter, here's what Jesus calls the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind guides. He calls them snakes. He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs that outwardly appear beautiful, but within are dead men's bones. Uh, Jesus is very clear how he felt about people who elevated rules about rules to the level of the law of God. He said that they honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far, far away from the Lord. Now, not all Pharisees were bad people. Don't get that Impression: Nicodemus was a Pharisee who later came to faith. We think that Joseph of Arimathea, who gave his tomb to, the, to be used by the body of Jesus, was a Pharisee. But for the most part, Pharisees dominated the religious climate, the religious terrain of first century Palestine. And they were the ones who created most of the trouble for Jesus. All right, second question. We're still in the preliminaries here. Longest sermon introduction in history. How, how, did, how did the Pharisees view the Sabbath day? Uh, well, like all Jews, the Pharisees had a very high, extremely high view of the Sabbath. See, two things distinguished the Jews from all the other nations of the world. The rite of circumcision and the Sabbath day. And so they held it in great honor. 
to dishonor the Sabbath day, to violate the Sabbath day, was to merit death. Who said so? God. In the Old Testament. God said there were a few things that you could not do on the Sabbath day. Working to make a profit, kindling a fire for cooking, gathering fuel, carrying burdens, transacting business, and so on and so forth. But to the faithful, to those who loved the Lord and wanted to follow after Him, the Sabbath was a gift from God. They loved it. The word Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word, root word, uh, Shabbath, which means to stop, to cease, to take a break, to take the day off. Enjoy yourself is what Sabbath meant. And that's what the Torah said to do. But here was the problem. As time went on, as time went on, the Sabbath became a weapon in the hands of the Pharisees. They used the Sabbath to control the people, to bring them under guilty bondage, to, you know, to, to put burdens upon their backs that they didn't even have the strength to carry. The Sabbath became an end in itself, right? Sabbath rules and regulations multiplied. I mentioned the uh, Mishnah a little while ago. It contains a list of 39 things that could not be done on the Sabbath day. Uh, I, I could read you a list of that, but just take my word for it. They were such trivial little things that you couldn't do. And what's interesting is that eventually there were rules about the rules about the rules. Because in the Mishnah, one of the rules about the Sabbath day was that you could not write... Two letters. That is A, B, C, those letters. You could not write two letters. Well, according to the Mishnah, here's the rule about the rule about the rule. If you wrote one letter on a wall and then wrote a second letter on another wall, and if you could stand back from one place and see both letters at the same time, you would be violating the Sabbath day. But if you wrote one letter on one wall of your house or a building and then went to the back side and wrote the second letter on the back of the house so that one could not see both letters at one and the same time, you would not be violating the Sabbath day. That's how, that's how trivial these things became. That's how exacting these rules about the rules about the rules got to be. And this is why. Now you've got the background. This is why in Mark 2... When the Pharisees see Jesus and the disciples, you know, rubbing their hand, these heads of grain in their hands, they accuse them of violating the Sabbath day. They're working. Uh, to be specific, they were reaping, threshing, and sifting. And those were three of those 39 sins listed in the Mishnah. And in Mark 3, when Jesus heals the man with a withered hand, he was breaking the Sabbath day again. Because according to the Pharisees, <clears throat> you could heal someone on the Sabbath day, but only in matters of life and death. Only if it was an emergency. Well, this was not a matter of life and death. They figured, Jesus, you could have waited a day or two. Uh, the man's not going to die from having a withered hand. And so they thought that he was breaking the Sabbath day again. Got it? Got the background? Now let's go to the main points of the text. Now that we know who the Pharisees were and how they viewed the Sabbath day, we're ready to see what Jesus, what the Holy Spirit is communicating in these two episodes. First thing, 
first of three points. I want you to notice this morning the problem with rules. The problem with rules. Rules don't make you right. Rules don't make you right. They don't have power, friends, to change the heart. They may change the behavior. You may be able to conform on the outside to a rule, but they can't transform you from the inside out. For that, you need the gospel. And this is what sets Christianity apart from all the other world religions. All the other world religions say, if you do these things, God will approve of you. If you obey, God will approve. Christianity says you're approved in Christ. Now you can obey. It's a big difference. But actually, I want to fine-tune this a little bit. Because actually, the problem is not so much with the rules. The problem is in here with the human heart. There's a little bit of a Pharisee in every single one of us. In every heart in this room, including mine, there's a little bit of a a Pharisee. We love, don't we? We love to create rules about the rules. And we especially love to apply these rules to other people rather than to ourselves. Shortly after I became a Christian, I got involved in a house church. And there were some good things about this little church that I was in, but one of the things is that we loved rules about the rules. We were very legalistic. One of our rules was you can't have a TV. And so none of us in this house church owned TV. Some of us had to get rid of the TVs that we had. And not having a TV became a litmus test of our spirituality. And I'll never forget that after a little while, a year or two, these rules began to kind of fall by the wayside, but very, very slowly. Like one day we visited one of our fellow house church members in their apartment, and lo and behold, there was a TV over there. And we didn't say anything about it, but we went home and said, they have a TV? What? And then another one of us got a TV, and another one, but we didn't want to talk about it, because that was one of the rules about the rules. Good Christians don't watch TV. Did you notice the way the Pharisees were just watching Jesus? Just like we were in that little house church, watching each other and waiting to see him fail? Like look at chapter 2, verse 23. It says that one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the, the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Notice verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Now I want to ask, Where were these Pharisees? Disciples and Jesus were walking to the grain field. I can only imagine that these Pharisees were like, you know, pulling apart the the grain field stalks and looking at Jesus. They were like highway patrol officers uh, parked around the curve with their radar out to, to nab somebody going 56 in a 55. Or they were like nosy journalists, you know, trying to find a scandal to bring it out into the open. They were like paparazzi. They were watching. They were around. They were just waiting to watch and see Jesus fall. And then again in chapter 3 verse 2, it says that the Pharisees and there's the word watched Jesus. And it's in the imperfect tense. They were watching him continuously to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. That word watch means to scrutinize and inspect and carefully look at 
anything that they could dig up, anything that they could add to their list about complaints of Jesus. You know how you can tell if you're a Pharisee? You know how you can tell if you're a Pharisee? You focus on other people's shortcomings more than you focus on your own. You kind of enjoy it when people slip up, when people fail, when people are caught, because you're watching them, just like these Pharisees watch Jesus. Another, another sign of whether you might be a Pharisee is that you get irritated and angry quite often because people don't fit into your agenda. They don't follow your plan. And another thing about Pharisees, they're very good with the little things of the Christian life, but lousy with the big things. One time you might know that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because, as it says in Matthew 23, they tithed their spices. They tithed mint and dill and cumin. But Jesus said, you neglect the bigger things, the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You know, there are people in the body of Christ who read through the Bible every year, who pray every day, who stay out of debt, who give their money very faithfully, who watch only PG-rated movies, who never watch TV, who tell people about Jesus and who put fish symbols on the backs of their cars and all that and they're at church every time the door opens but they are absolute jerks. Nobody wants to be around them. They are intimidating and impatient and unforgiving and harsh and bigoted and judgmental. You know what, people? Those are the Pharisees. They may check off every box on the list of behaviors that good Christians do, but they're lousy at love and grace and mercy. And this makes God really angry. Did you notice that in chapter 3, verse 5? It says this. It says, Jesus looked around at the Pharisees with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. You see, he had mixed emotions didn't he? He was angry, it says, at the Pharisees' insensitivity to human need. It's the, it's the Greek word orge. You can hear the word orgy in there. It's the Greek word that refers usually to the wrath of God. And Jesus felt it. He felt it in the synagogue as he looked at these Pharisees. He felt the wrath of God. He was angry at this entire system of legalism where the letter of the law is more important than the spirit of the law. But Jesus was also sad. It says that he grieved over the blindness of people who knew so much but felt so little. I heard a sermon one time by Kevin DeYoung who said Jesus does not care if we get all the little things right, if we get all the big things wrong. Now look, the little things are important. All those things that I mentioned, reading the Bible, giving, going to church, uh, witnessing to other people, those are, the, those are important things. But Jesus does not care if we get all the little things right and get all the, all the big things wrong. 
I, for one, am a recovering Pharisee. I'll be the first to admit. I love rules. I am a rule keeper. When my family plays games, I always, it's kind of a running joke in my family, I always get the lid of the box and turn it upside down and read the rules all over again. I may know everything about that game, but I will read the rules and the people in my family will have to sit there while I say, now how many cards do we? Seven. Okay, here's seven. Uh, how many times do I roll before I get out of jail? And then what's the, oh, $50. Okay. I read the rules all over again. Now that may be fine when I'm playing games. But uh, it's not so funny when I use my rules to hurt other people. I yelled at my wife the other day. Yeah, I had a Christmas meltdown moment. You know why I did that? Because she violated one of my rules. My rule says, you're supposed to appreciate what I do at all times, even when I make a mistake. That's, that's my rule. <laughs> you see, she had asked me to go out and do some Christmas shopping for one of our grandkids, and she gave me a list of here's what they want. Well, they didn't have what they wanted, so I got these other things. And I told her, uh, called her up on the phone, they don't have these things, but I got generally what they wanted. So I took those things home, and right first thing she said to me when I showed it to her was, that's not what I said to get. And I blew up. I lost it. I said, well, sorry, it's close enough, isn't it? You see, she broke one of my rules. Even when I'm wrong, I'm right. It's a rule I live by. You know what I learned from the Pharisees is the heart of a law keeper can be just as hard as the heart of a lawbreaker. Maybe even harder. Because a law keeper thinks he's right even when he's wrong. That's a problem. Well, the second thing I want you to see here, besides the problem with rules, is the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verses uh, 25 and 26. Now, this is really fascinating. And to follow me as I walk through what we learn about Jesus here. He says in verse 25 to these Pharisees who were watching, you know, he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. Here Jesus is appealing to scriptural precedent. He's using a bit of uh, sarcasm too, isn't he? Because he's saying to these people, these Pharisees, you're experts in the law and, and you don't even know your Old Testament history. See, Jesus is referring to something that happened back in 1 Samuel 21. Uh, and we won't go into all the details, but here's what happened in 1 Samuel 21. David has been anointed king of Israel, but he's not king yet because Saul, the wicked Saul, is still on the throne. And Saul wants to kill David, right? So David is on the run away from King Saul, and he runs to a town called Nob, N-O-B, where Ahimelech, Abiathar's father, lives. 
And David is famished. He is absolutely hungry, starving. And so he says to Ahimelech, the priest, he says, you got anything to eat? And Ahimelech looks around and he says, no, David, the only food that is here is the consecrated bread, the bread of the presence. Now this bread, in case you don't know, was only to be eaten by the priests. Those were the rules. Leviticus 24. You can look it up. But the priest gives David the bread, and David eats it, and he shares it with his men, and he's not condemned for it because God said it was okay. All right? God wasn't ignoring the rules. He was simply saying, you know what? Sometimes there's a more important principle at stake here behind the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Meeting human need is more important than ritual. Jesus is not breaking the Sabbath in Mark 2 or Mark 3. He is simply teaching that the point of the law, the point of the law is love for God and love for neighbor. Loving God and neighbor are always the point. And then Jesus says something that just blows the Pharisees out of the water in verse 28 of chapter 2. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now note that title, Son of Man. It's Jesus' favorite name for himself. He uses it when talking about himself more than any other name. More than Son of God, more than Messiah, more than Lord. Son of Man. It comes straight out of the Old Testament. It's in the book of Daniel. And I put it up here on the screen so that you can all see it. It's from Daniel chapter 7. And here's what it says in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, for Jesus to call himself Son of Man was a claim of eternal glory, power, and authority. It was a claim to be the divine, omnipotent ruler over a kingdom that would never end. Do you see now why the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus? Jesus claims authority to interpret the rules of the game. See, the Pharisees had their interpretation of the Sabbath day, right? We've already seen this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And while you're at it, you can't do that either. But Jesus, on the other hand, says, no, no, no. You're not the boss of me. I'm the boss I'm the king. I'm the greater David. I'm the greater priest. I'm the son of man. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I get to make the rules, not you. I get to interpret what they mean, not you, Pharisees. And then Mark 2.28 is really the most shocking thing that Jesus has said yet in the book of Mark. Jesus is saying, I am the very one who created the universe in Genesis 2 and blessed the seventh day and made it holy. I am the one who rested from his labors and now I offer my rest to all who come to me in faith. I created the Sabbath day. 
It is my day. And I get to decide what is and is not appropriate to be done on my day. I am not bound by your rules. You are bound by mine. I am God and you are not. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And, and this is important. Do you see also that far from relaxing the rules about the Sabbath, Jesus actually makes them far more demanding. He ups the ante on the Pharisees. He makes the rules about the Sabbath day far more demanding than they did. The Pharisees said, to keep the Sabbath day holy, you must not, what? Reap, thresh, or sift. And to keep the Sabbath day holy, you must not heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And Jesus comes back and he says, Oh no, Pharisees, that is way too easy. To keep the Sabbath day holy, you know what you must do? You must care about people who are hungry. You must be merciful and compassionate to those who are damaged goods. You must deny yourselves and be people of mercy and grace. And to ask that of people like you and me, who are little Pharisees sometimes, is the hardest thing possible. As Lord of the Sabbath, you see, Jesus demands more of us than the Mishnah does, not less. He is showing the Pharisees and he's showing us that our sin is much worse than we thought it was and our need of him and his grace is much greater than we ever imagined. Well, the final thing I want to talk about with you before we leave is not only the problem with rules and the authority of Jesus, but the blessing of the Sabbath day. Here, I want to just leave you with some practical thoughts. The blessing of the Sabbath. Chapter 227 says, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Do you know why God gave you and me the fourth commandment? Because he loves us. He really, really does. The Sabbath day is for your refreshment and your enjoyment. It's a gift of God's grace. Having one day in seven that's different from all the other days is an amazing way that God has given you a preview of heaven where you will enter into your final and eternal rest. Take the day off, says God. Do whatever you feel like doing. Stop anxiously working. Trust me that I'll provide what you need the six days so that you can Sabbath one day a week. Notice with me that Jesus doesn't say the Sabbath was made for Jews. He doesn't even say the Sabbath was made for Christians. No, he says the Sabbath was made for humankind. The Sabbath was made for everybody, all people. It was made for man. That tells me that there is a continuing Sabbath principle in the Word of God. You need a weekly Sabbath. Every one of you, you neglect it to your own peril. Mark Driscoll uh, is known for putting things fairly bluntly. And he said one time, if you don't take a voluntary Sabbath, you will take an involuntary one for counseling and or hospitalization. Now look, I know that nothing in this world encourages Sabbath observance. And I also know that some of you that I'm talking to are parents of young children. 
And for you to sit there and think, what in the world is he telling me? He thinks I can have a Sabbath, a day off. Who is he joking? Well, I know it seems impossible. Just getting to church on time for some of you families is, you know, enough to, to kill you. And, and I commend you and applaud you for coming here week in and week out at 9 o'clock in the morning. But I'm asking you to do whatever you can do to protect for yourself and for your family a weekly day off from work and from routine when you can gather for worship on Sunday morning and then spend the rest of the day nourishing your soul, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe this can be your New Year's resolution, huh? For 2014, in 2014, I will rest my body and replenish my soul with a weekly Sabbath. Now, this brings up an important takeaway. Last thought, then we, we're done. Never, and this we learned from this text today, never lay rules about rules that you've come up with for yourself on other people. Jesus is the one who gets to judge people, not you, not me. See, here is something that's important. There's a difference between principle and application. Principles in the Bible, commands in the Bible are one thing, but application of those principles is another. If you're concerned about somebody, if you're concerned about his or her life, and you've got chapter and verse, go talk to that person. Tell him, tell her of your concern. But if all you have is your preference, your tradition, your rule about a rule, don't go laying that down as the law of God for that person. Sometimes things are not black and white. They're more of a shade of gray. You know what I'm talking about? Things like how you educate your children, how you celebrate Christmas, Halloween, other holidays, what movies are okay to see, what kind of music you listen to, what kind of music is appropriate for worship, how you spend your time, how you spend your money. A lot of those things are the gray area. And what you do with the Sabbath is one of those. So here's where we need to distinguish between principle and application. God in his wisdom and grace has given you this Sabbath principle. But how you apply that principle and how I apply that principle may be quite different. Remember what I said earlier. Love for God and love for neighbor are always the point of the law. Praise God. Praise God that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He died on the cross for our law-keeping and our law-breaking. And now Jesus says to you and to me, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for bringing new wine and fresh wineskins into the world. You didn't change the rules so much as show us what the rules were for. Thank you for the Sabbath day. But Lord, give us wisdom to live with a rhythm of work and rest without becoming legalists in the process. Lord, teach us how we can commit to the Sabbath principle without scrutinizing and judging each other. Lead the way, Lord, so that we might properly use the gift you've given us. Lord, we confess I confess how often we are insensitive to the needs of people around us. We're often more concerned with our rules 
than the sorrows and problems of other people. Forgive us, Lord, for our Pharisaism. And Holy Spirit, pour the new wine of the gospel in our hearts that we might be broken of our pride and broken of our arrogance and become more and more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.